Welcome in everyone to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a member of the 1012 Podcast Network, and you can find all the great coverage of the Big 12 over at 1012network.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends on whatever podcast service you find this. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, Overcast, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at LonghornPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, The Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Come. We'd also like to remind you this podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Charlie Hustle Clothing Company. Charlie Hustle is a vintage inspired clothing company based out of Kansas City that specializes in collegiate and hometown apparel. Charlie Hustle wants you to be the best dressed fan this season. Only got a few weeks left, so be sure to check out their wide selection of officially licensed collegiate apparel today to show off your school spirit all season long. With more than 30 schools to choose from, they've got you covered with all of your collegiate apparel needs. You can get 15% off any non-sale item. That's right, non-sale item, not first-time purchase, using the code 101215. That's T-E-N-1215 at checkout. Shop today over at charliehustle.com. Charlie Hustle, vintage made fresh. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week. Like I am most weeks, and I'm joined by a man who's never seen an offensive lineman give better bulletin board material. Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? I'm good. Uh, the same week that Texas uh, offensive line gets named to the Joe Moore, you know, best unit uh, semifinalist list, which is tremendous, uh, we have chirping coming from, uh, I'll just say, the position group, uh, again, offensive line, that has to play 650 pounds of, of Murphy and Sweat uh for a majority of their downs. Like it just, there's certain things like I understand the idea of a matador. You get a bull angry and move out of the way, but here's the thing. Tavondre sweat is so big. You can't move out of the way. He just, he, he, he envelops all of the space. He will run through you um, as he did to Cooper BB um, and, and others this year. It's, it's such a, it's such an interesting strategy. I think my strategy would be to um, try to hide from them for four quarters or something along those lines. But man, I, I, uh, if Texas wasn't up for this one already, the, the players all seemed, I saw multiple people on Instagram, on Twitter, uh, acknowledging it. This was seen, uh, the social media team has played with it. Uh, sorry, Iowa state. That was, that was, that was not a great move. I don't think there was a way that Texas was sleeping through this one on the third anniversary of the Bo Davis rant. But that being said, um, if I had to block Travandre Sweat, I would do everything within my power to not make myself known, right? Travandre Sweat is so big, he makes Byron Murphy look like a normal person. Did you see the picture of them coloring turkeys with those kids for charity, right? Byron Murphy, we've said it looks like he's got two ex-wives, a mortgage, and uh, $50,000 in credit card. He looks like a grown man, a grown man, and Travandre Sweat makes him look like a normal person, what are you doing now? If he comes out and talks his mess, right? Or he comes out and, and backs it up. Great. But, um, I'm going to be like, I would be surprised if this isn't a, uh, a Tavandre sweat wins the, uh, Outland award game for him. But, uh, yeah, Texas goes to Iowa state who does have a bit 
of a, uh, a leg to stand on by saying they beat Texas, right? That guy uh, who was talking is, I think, 3-1 and one against Texas with uh, Texas's lone win in the last four being last year in Austin 24-21. Uh, to 21. Uh, Last time Texas went to Ames, it was a blowout 30-7. to seven. Uh, And then two years before that, uh, the last two years before that were both one-score games. Like, not a... Um, Texas hasn't consistently been uh, better than Iowa State over the last uh, five-ish years, but um, Texas won the last one, and again, why give them bulletin board material in a week we are hoping to catch them unawares? Iowa State um, is an enigma to me, Kyle. I'm going to go and say it. They are uh, riding high on some big wins. They are um, in the thick of the Big 12 race, can really create some havoc for the Big 12 and position themselves well for a title shot if they win this weekend. Number 33 overall in F+, which is FEI and SP+, combined, probably our two favorite advanced stats. Um, I, I don't know how to slice it, but Kyle... I was nervous for this game, had a bit of an uneasy feeling in my stomach for this game. Um, and then then the locker room uh, bulletin board material came out and that eased up just a little bit. But still, Iowa State's a team that could mess around and win this game. Yeah, I mean, look, they, they're similar a bit to Oklahoma State in that they have gotten better as the year has gone on from September to, to November. There's been market improvements. So credit to their coaching staff, right? Offense, defense, the way those units are playing together, they're better. Um, you know, you have, you have John Haycock, your defense is going to be pretty good every year. They are 1-2 and two against Big 12 teams with, with winning records in the league, right? Um, the dominating they've been doing has mostly been against Baylor, TCU, BYU, Cincinnati, combined 7-21. and 21. Um, They've lost twice this year in that fortress that they are claiming, right, is is um, unbeatable, especially at night. Uh, Iowa and Kansas have gone in there. We beat Kansas. We haven't played Iowa. Um, so, I mean, look, Kansas State scared uh, the bejesus out of me, and uh, you saw how that kind of ended up. TCU as principal uh, didn't scare me as a team, but scared me as what it represented, and you saw how that turned out. So Iowa State doesn't necessarily scare me. Um, I don't think they, they match up especially well in any particular area against Texas. Um, but they are going to be well-coached. They are going to be highly motivated. I think I saw a player say they only hate two teams, Iowa and Texas, and it's just it, it's just crazy that literally everyone considers us a rival. Um, but if Texas does what they need to do, and Gerald, you talked about the motivation, making them be locked in, right? Um Xavier Worthy doesn't like to play in the cold. He said as much. It's going to be cold. It's not going to be a necessarily great game. It's nighttime in, in Iowa, right? It's uh, it's not going to be perfect conditions. But I think Texas being locked in can make up for that. I think Texas having something to prove, you know, the way they've started these games and finished them, like I would love for them to want to prove and get a 2-3 score uh, lead in this one and, and hold it, right? Um, this could follow the same exact script, and I don't like – just holding on for dear life and neither does my heart rate monitor, but it could be that same script. It, it very likely could. This is a good Iowa state defense and an offense that does just enough and is opportunistic. So um, to me, again, not a great Iowa state team, but a team that you're playing um, at the better part of their season where they're, they're certainly without a doubt playing better. 
Yeah, they're. I mean, they're on the upswing, right? Like they, we, we kind of wrote them off for dead early in the season because they had a couple of bad, ugly losses early. I think they were one and two. Thought Matt Campbell was going to get fired after he tried to fight a fan, right? Like there was a lot that happened early in the season that would have let you write off Iowa State. And I'm trying to make sure that my impression of this game is not colored by that. But like when we look at the Iowa State offense, right? We're talking about the offense because the offense has been the one that's talking noise, right? Um, overall, the offense is number 57 in the F plus. So get F. And SP Plus combined 50 overall in points per drive, 49th in yards per play, stuff rate of 25%, which is honestly pretty high. Line yards of two and a, uh, two, uh, two and a half per rush, and rushing uh, predicted points added of 0. 0.017, which is low, rushing explosiveness of 1.05. So, like, they're not probably going to try to run the ball against Texas. And if they do, they probably won't have much success. And so, it seems like like the offensive scheme, the offensive game plan is going to have to run through freshman Rocco Becht, who's been good, um, especially as of late. It's kind of on the come up. Um, he feels very Brock Purdy, and I don't appreciate that much. So I'll say that. Rocco Becht is, is you know, the son of tight end Anthony Becht. Like if you want to again feel old. Um, Brocktober, Rocktober, we're now in, in November, so I guess it doesn't matter. Um, Becktober. It, it was, yeah, it could be, could be. Um, Bechtember, I don't know. Um, anyways, uh, we'll, we'll workshop it. Uh, but this game is played squarely in November. A guy who's gotten a lot better because, if you recall, he was not supposed to be the quarterback, right? That would be um, gambling addict Hunter Deckers. Um, well, the whole team is full of gambling addicts, but uh, Rocco Beck has gotten better like a guy who wasn't supposed to be the quarterback, and he's kind of, you know, taken on the reins, right? He's got a 15 to 7 touchdown interception ratio which isn't great, but he's, again, like Gerald said, getting better. He's got enough enough legs and mobility just to be um, interesting. Their offensive line is not bad, right? I don't think they've played a Texas yet. I don't think they've played a really elite defensive line. You know, Iowa gave them trouble, but Iowa's just a good defensive unit. They certainly don't have any any players the same caliber in the interior as what Texas has in spades. Um, so I, I almost expect they've only given up nine sacks this year, but they – they do get the ball out really quickly and they run a lot of max protect, uh, you know, deep shots. So as long as the secondary uh, doesn't do anything silly, right, doesn't, you know, on a two-man route, let that man open, um, then I, 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 I think they should be okay. They do have a 6'9", uh, 335-pound right tackle. Um, I don't know if he's great, uh, but you know it'll be interesting, all right? If if our pressure was as good on the end, or you know our, our dominance was as good on the ends as it is in the interior, I'd really like it because the strength of Iowa State is their interior line, the two guards in center. Um, their tackles, I think, can be had, but I, I still think again, you just gave rocket fuel to the interior guys. Where they should be winning these matchups, it's it's can they get back down? Who's slippery? And can they get to him before he gets the ball out of his hands? Which you know it'll be curious if we have any press coverage anything to go um around it right um i agree with you that i'm not certainly worried about their running game but you know that's been the the story of the season teams have thrown against texas because they couldn't run and they found some success so i'm curious to see even though that's not iowa state's strength if they find you know a, a lot of uh underneath mesh uh, multi you know cross route concepts and and try to stress the zones of texas um you know if if 
Jaden Higgins and Jalen Knoll or, you know, whoever their their best receivers are going to be, if they can wiggle open and give back, you know, room to dump out without the big guys getting them on the ground. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be the the big question, right? The offensive line uh, for all of the bluster. I mean, they've only given up nine sacks this year, which is, you know, less than one per game. But they have given up 48 tackles for loss. So uh, some of that, I think, is Beck's size and his escapability um, and his ability to get the ball out quickly. But again, like you said, I don't think they've played a defensive line like the Longhorns. But, you know, there is a world in which the Texas defense continues to be the Texas defense that holds Iowa State to, you know, two-ish, three maybe scores, right? This is a 14 to 21 point game for Iowa State, which is a which is something to be, that is a winnable margin for Texas, I think, in a lot of ways. Now, again, Iowa State could come out and throw in some wrinkles that we've never seen before. It wouldn't be the first time that a mm. team came out against Texas and added in wrinkles that they hadn't seen before. Cough, cough, Dylan Gabriel, cough, cough, right? So like there's a, there's a world in which um, they get creative you know, their, their offensive coordinator, he's, I think it's his first year, really looking to make a name for himself. So there's an opportunity for that uh, in this kind of nighttime game. They're going to wear all black, I think, because Iowa State loves wearing colors that aren't their school color uh, for big <laughs> games. Um, so there, there's an opportunity for them to uh, do something new and do, do something interesting. But again, I think the, the bigger question that I have is really the Iowa State defense and its ability to match up against Texas, um, and especially with what Texas has done late in games this last run, right? Texas has been outscored 36 to six in the fourth quarter of the last two games. Iowa State can hold it. And, and you know, we've seen Quinn Ewers struggle with the three high safety look. And when push comes to shove, you know, you could you could ask anybody. John Heacock is the one that really popularized that look in the Big 12 and really nationally, right? When you think about that, like there were teams that, you know, came to Texas, came to him and got some tips on how to run that um, run that scheme. And so that to me is the bigger concern, right? Iowa State has given up a lot of explosive passes. They don't give up, they don't create much havoc in the with their defensive backs, but like they could just put a lid on it. And I think that's something that concerns me about Texas, especially in a week without Jonathan Brooks. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. Your most consistent weapon on the season was Jonathan Brooks. If everything else wasn't working, well, like, let Brooks go get five yards and, and get us a, you know, a better down in distance, right? The, you know, the three three five, like Gerald said, is, you know, is known. There is something to be said about the fact that even though they have a new offensive coordinator, offensive line, some new players, this is Matt Campbell's eighth season. Haycock's been there n- next to him the whole time. Um, you do know a little bit what you're going to get, but you know that they're only giving up five yards of play, less than 20 per game. Um, they've they've got 15 interceptions on the year, so there is a little worry there, especially if this was a Murphy game. I would be you know particularly worried. Quinn has been pretty good with the ball. Again, if he's full strength, his interception last week was just looked like couldn't get the air under it that he usually is expecting, right? So knowing exactly where his arm is, right, and when he makes those throws, because their secondary is for sure their main strength, right? I expect them to try to get downhill on our running game with their safeties crashing and also give, like, a you know, a lot of teams did earlier in the year, just give a lot of bodies in the back, you know, defensive backfield for Quinn, uh, making – routes look crowded and convoluted making his reads multi-layered um you know there is something to that and i would love love for them to to be on the right side of not adding to that interception uh tally i don't know that outside of oklahoma they've they've faced a passing offense like texas's so that is something right they uh 
they've had 17 sacks on the year, but five of them were in their opener against who I think Northern Iowa or one of the directional Iowa, Iowa schools. Um, they just don't get a lot of pressure, which again makes me think um, with that secondary, they're not going to blitz a ton. They're not going to, you know, offensive line last week for, for Texas kept Quinn completely dry. They had a great week against uh, keeping, you know, guys off Murphy the week before that. Um, so with their lack of, of pressure, and watch me be wrong, and that'd be the story of the game, but so far this season, their lack of pressure, they don't have a Will McDonald, right? They don't have um, a, a player who can, or a, a unit that can generate that, um, but they do have a good secondary. So I kind of expect them to sit in that. If they're doing max protect on offense, whatever the max protect equivalent is on defense, sit with eight guys crowding passing lanes and really don't worry about getting pressure and you hope you hope that Ewers and, and Sark and, and the offense um, and with the receivers we have they can find soft spots and they can have a scheme to attack that um, but we've also hoped that that adjustment would have been made for you know multiple games this year so let's let's see that's this is exactly what I'll be watching it like I think like you said it feels like the reverse where you know when teams are playing Texas with Malik Murphy they loaded the box and like we're not going to let Brooks beat us we're going to force Murphy to beat us I think they like they may try the opposite uh, tactic right it's like we're going to make Cedric Baxter CJ Baxter and Jaden Blue beat us um and you know what I might take that bet I might take that bet uh going away I'd probably put not a mortgage payment maybe maybe a couple of bills like the electric and the and the cable bill maybe not the whole mortgage though uh, <laughs> on it if that's the bet they're making um but again John Hecock we, we've said it before we'll say it again one of the best defensive minds in the country, right? So I think whatever they're going to do and scheme up for Texas is going to be interesting. It could be a unique wrinkle for them. Anything you want to add, Kyle, before we move on to the the highlight of this segment? I was just going to say, yeah, they have, um, what's his name? Orange, uh, Dominic Orange is their, their nose tackle. And he's almost sweat size. Like he's pretty pretty large. I think he's 6'4", 340. You know, he's a big dude. Um, but sweat for his credit can, can, you know, rush the pass or stop the run play you know a lot more plays than you would expect um i wonder if texas comes with a little bit of tempo because he he really gives them about you know 30 a game before he's he's uh winded it's not hot so he doesn't have to worry about that and then they also have giants in the safety room 6'4 230 uh verdon and frailer at 6'2 220 are basically linebackers back there but that's how they play them right as i mentioned they're going to have their safeties crashing downhill like a linebacker in support they give different looks at the snap than what they give pre-snap so some of those three high safeties uh, again, are playing like a linebacker, but they're they're just as big as their actual linebackers. So it'll be it'll be interesting. They have some you know NFL sized guys, but I do think TJ Tampa is is solid, um, and he's six two two hundred as well. Um, but outside of four or five, this should not be a unit where you know Texas has to worry about that, right? Ad Mitchell, uh, Xavier Worthy should be faster than than most of the guys they're they're going up against. Jatavian Sanders, I say it most weeks, could have. Um, could have some explosiveness in this one um, just because if there's a lot of wiggle in the middle in that zone, if there's, uh, you know, linebackers who are chasing him or, or even those those large safeties, I, I like him uh, getting open and catching through contact that will inevitably be there. So um, there is a lot on the meat on the bone. It'll just be, can they do it for four quarters, right? Can they keep up that pressure? Can they keep up that uh, push? And again, I think when the biggest advantage for Texas, even with the injuries, I think is like the talented depth, right? And so I think as you look at four quarters, Texas should be able to close with the talent that they have. They haven't yet, um, but I think 
this might be the game. Sark talked about it. He called out specifically the defense, both schematically and the players, that they're not playing uh, as, with as much intensity as they should later in the game. So I think they're maybe this is the game where they try to pull it out and they try to close things out and try to close out a team uh, on the road. I'd love to see that. And something else I'd love to see is gaining some ground on Pod Stradamus. It's time for the highlight of everyone's week. Your pods, your Pod Stradamus picks brought to you by Prize Picks. Remember, Prize Picks is the best legal way for you to play player props in states like California, Florida, and Texas. Um, it's easy way to play daily fantasy. You just pick two to five players on an over under uh, based on their projected projections. And you can win up to 10 times on any entry. It's just you and the numbers and all of our listeners can use uh, the promo code longhorn12 to receive a 100% incident deposit match up to $100 uh, and you can go have a little bit of fun on your Saturdays you can pick mix and match different sports college basketball is kicking off NBA is kicking off so you can go college baseball your college basketball college football NBA all of it again it's just you versus the numbers it's also got an award-winning app easy to use on both Apple Apple App Store and Google Play. So go check it out now. Again, you can use the code Longhorn12 to get a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 and use that promo code. So Kyle, Iowa State, standing in the way of a 10-win season. What is your first Pod Stradamus pick of the week? I think that Texas is going to be uh, better on offense against this defense than some people are, are, are thinking this week. I don't know that it's going to be a 20 to, to 17 game. I'm hoping that I think there's, there's a little bit to be had here. Texas has had a hundred yard receivers, um, two different ones in each of the past weeks, right? I think 140 some odd for, for, uh, AD Mitchell, uh, against Kansas state. And then last week, Xavier were the 137 yards with, uh, some, you know, 50 of it stepping out of bounds could have been even bigger. Um, I think Texas will keep that streak up, and I don't know who it's going to be. I'm not going to pick that it will be Worthy or it will be um, because I'm curious how the defense will, will, will look at Worthy versus Mitchell uh, or Sanders um, or, shoot, man, give me two Jonte Cook long shots. I don't know. But Texas will have a 100-yard receiver, receiver against this vaunted Iowa State passing defense. 100-yard receiver. Love it. So uh, I'm going to go, honestly, on the opposite track than you, Kyle. Uh, I think that this is going to be the C.J. Baxter game. I think C.J. Baxter is going to come out and try to assert himself um, and really be an asset for Texas. So I think C.J. Baxter is going to hit that 100-yard mark against this Iowa State defense. All right. Why not both, right? Why not a 100-yard rusher and a 100-yard receiver um that'd be a good thing for the offense so gerald um i think the the two most distinctive features uh of this or i guess uh, stories around this iowa state team this year number one is that again they've had multiple players kicked off as a part of a wide-ranging uh gambling scandal and number two that they uh that they dress like Winnie the Pooh in one of their earlier games this year, right? And if you're not as familiar with that, right, Winnie the Pooh wears a top and not a bottom. That's that's a you know a look that if you go Google it, Iowa State emulated early on with their throwbacks. They looked like they were very, wearing very very pooish. Yes, whitey tidies, um, tidy whities whichever you do. You say whitey tidy or tidy whitey? I've always said tidy whitey, but yeah, that's neither here nor there. I think uh, uh, I'll have to think about it. I don't know which one I say now that I, I put myself on the spot, but nonetheless, I am betting that Texas will not Winnie the Pooh this game. They will not 
uh, have a a scoring uh, disparity where they have been um, you know outscored thirty to six in the the fourth quarter. Previously, they've been outscored in the second halves of, of most of their games. Uh, the second half of this season, that will not happen. Texas will have two solid halves this game. They will buck the trend. They will score in both, even though they're throttling down because they're gonna they're gonna be up big and they're gonna be sealing out the win. They will score uh, less than uh, a, a a ten point differential from first half to second half. So if they score fourteen in the first half, well, they're not scoring four. If they score twenty one, <laughs> uh, they're gonna score more than eleven in the second half. Is basically what I'm saying. So so less than a ten point differential. Uh, it might even be a touchdown, but give myself a little room here. I'm gonna say uh, Texas. We're gonna measure their complete halves. Their no Winnie the Pooh in this game with less than 10 point delta from half uh, one to half two. It's an interesting one, but it is but, an interesting yeah. one. You're going to do the math on that. My math is going to be more simple. Uh, when Iowa State, I mentioned their tackles for loss number earlier. Uh, when Iowa State has played good to decent teams, right? Uh, I'm saying Oklahoma, Kansas, BYU, right? BYU's not even that good. But, you know, they gave up nine tackles for loss to, to Oklahoma. They gave up seven to Kansas. And they gave up five to BYU. And so I think, especially with the extra motivation they've got this week, I think Texas is going to hit, I'm I'm not going to go too high, but I think they're going to hit at least six tackles for loss this week. So Texas at least as good as BYU, uh, or a little better with six TFLs. I like it. Um, I think the, the motivation plays in really well there. I'm glad neither of us took special teams. Um, Campbell did hire a special teams coordinator, so um, they're actually okay in that phase of the game. They're not bad, where typically that's you know this weird Achilles heel that he refused to address, but they are okay in special teams now, so I'm glad we skipped that. Um, I went for an obscure points when you went for an offense and a defense. Basically, we're each hoping 100 yards, spread it out, balance game. I think Sark would think the same. So if all four of those come true, Gerald, I don't see how we don't win this and uh, put someone's bulletin board material on cold takes exposed. Here is hoping. So that's it for this week's prediction. We'll be back on Tuesday to recap this game. Then obviously we will be uh, in your ear. Will it be in your podcast feed? Maybe a day early uh, with the Texas Tech preview, depending uh, because next week is uh, Thanksgiving week and Texas will play on Black Friday. So uh, we will be back with a recap and a preview next week. Gerald, now let's take a look at the world through some burnt orange lenses. And we're going to start with signing day. Now, this isn't football's national signing day that gets the uh, on everyone's calendar. Mary Malik Smith, happy uh, Bajanica. This this is the signing day for all other sports, different recruiting periods. Um, but every Happy Quinza. <laughs> indeed, indeed, indeed. Um, this podcast uh, where you go to for recruiting-related puns. Um, but signing day across all the other sports happened, and it was a good one. Uh, you don't win Directors' Cups without great classes top to bottom. So we'll give a little bit of shine as we run through quickly here. Have to start you know, at the top with the number one class. Any, any uh, sport that brings in the number one class gets to start off this segment, and it is basketball. Women's basketball. Um, oh, the Evic. Vic Schaefer and his team signed the number one class per ESPN. Um, and we talked about this when it happened. They signed two of the top 10 players 
on the same day. Uh, and that helps you get to this class. Uh, that's number seven player in the country forward Justice Carlton out of Katie and number eight uh, player guard Jordan Lee out of Stockton, California. Um, I like I like the this the line here on Jordan Lee. She's uh, also a two-time U.S. Junior Nationals track and field All-American. So Ooh. bringing speed, bringing the athleticism, um, and then uh, also top 50 player, another guard, number 43, uh, out of Jonesboro, Georgia. So spreading this class around the country, Brianna Preston. Like I remember when Karen Aston's contract ran out and you and I were confused by it. We're like, she's doing fine. Like, why wouldn't you re-sign her? Um, and then, you know, a week later, Texas has Vic Schaefer uh, inked, right? This is why you signed Vic Schaefer, right? This is why you bring him in. Uh, really, you bring him in for what he did two years ago, taking Texas to the Elite Eight uh, with an under-resourced team. But like, this is the other reason, right? Elite recruiter, he's going to bring in a ton of talent. And especially, like, you've got, key talent in your backyard like you've got um the number seven player in the country you know right in katie so like being able to lock that down um getting you know two five stars that commit they committed on the same day if i remember correctly uh brianna preston's nothing to slouch at as well so like um the opportunity to sign classes like this and to build classes like this, this is how you become a Gino Oriema's UConn. This is how you become a Kimogis Baylor. <laughs> this is how you become that kind of cl- uh, that kind of school in women's basketball is by stacking these classes. And so Vic is starting to do that. And I think, um, again, this is why you, you go out and you get a guy like Vic, Vic Schaefer. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And and keeping it on the recruiting trail in basketball, there was, you know, Vic has just been right out in front doing it. They're one of the two programs in the country that currently have three top 50 ranked recruits signed. Um, Rodney Terry is a guy who's done his whole career, but there was like that weird class assembling and what happened with players going G League in Australia and the team having to go to the portal and there was a lot of doubts about RT and, and I will just say um, those doubts were premature. We're recording this on Wednesday evening. Of course uh, you probably saw the news uh, as this hits your podcast feed on Thursday, but Texas had a good class uh, on Wednesday morning when they woke up, they had the number nine class in the country with number 24 player, Cam Scott, a six, five guard out of Lexington, South Carolina, and the number 40 player, uh, Nick Cody, a 6'8 forward out of Carrollton. That's good enough with two players for the number nine class. Gerald, did anything happen between Wednesday morning and when we're recording this Wednesday evening? Um, yeah, so um, a guy named Trey Johnson decided That's to right. uh, commit to Texas over Baylor. Don't forget to say that part. Committed to Texas over Baylor. Mm-hmm. And signed as part of the class. Um, consensus five-star shooting guard. That's right. Uh, depending on your service, he's ranked between number three and number five uh, of players in. Not the a lot country. of variance there. <laughs> That's right. He's he's very good um, or the absolute best. But either way, he's the number one ranked shooting guard on, on every um, every site. Uh, he's the highest ranked guard to to ever sign for the University of Texas. Like that's a big deal. We've had some great big men, Kevin Durant, um, obviously, uh, actually Dylan Mitchell is the number four player in his class as a forward. But um, this is this is a big get uh, for Texas. Avery Bradley was probably the highest ranked guard before this, a guy who left and instantly, you know, played in the NBA, just a, a great career. I think this, uh, Trey Johnson has a much higher offensive upside than Avery Bradley. If he can have the same defensive intensity, then that would be tremendous. Um, but, He's a a 
player who everyone wanted, but he quickly had it down to Texas and Baylor. His dad played basketball at Baylor, so not a surprise, but you know, certainly um, they lost the legacy, which is never fun. Um, this is this is a kid who instantly comes in and, and just, you know, as that two guard who can score at all levels, ups your offense, right? He can be a 20-point player his freshman year, and, and I mean that seriously. He's that good uh, of a contributor. And, and it's it's crazy because uh, Baylor's had this run where they had Keontae George, and then they followed it up uh, with the you know one of the top shooting guards in this class. They could have had a three-year run where they basically locked down the top shooting guard three years in a row. Um, and you know, good, good for, for Texas for getting in there and breaking up that Scott Drew fest. Cause no one wants uh, them to be successful in, in that way. Baseball um, also keeping it, uh, keeping it spicy with the number three uh, class. They picked up um, a player just at the, the 11th hour as well, similar to basketball, who is the top uh, remaining pitcher in the country. Um, they, I mean, they have a solid, solid class. That's Jason Flores, not to be confused with Jalen Flores, but this is Jason Flores, also a J flow out of Wiley who they picked up most recently um, but it's a well-balanced class you know you always hope you can get all these guys on campus it's a little bit hard with baseball to know um, who's uh, who's going draft uh, you know draft eligible and goes or who shows up on the 40 but uh, right now as it sits in elite elite class well-rounded from baseball yeah I mean kind of much like seeing like Trey Johnson uh, in the in the basketball class right um you always watch with trepidation as these guys the mlb draft comes around um and as much as i you know want to see these kids live their mlb dreams i always hope that they're drafted just a little bit lower than maybe they're they're expecting so they can uh play a couple of years in austin and help us out but um again this is a great class and Texas continues to stack that talent. Yeah, good on Coach Pierce. They're uh, keeping the pipeline full. Um, softball, so a, a couple classes here that, that were small and I think intentionally. Softball signed one pitcher and one middle in, infielder with so many uh, underclassmen filling spots from a huge and well-ranked number four class last year. So a small class for softball, uh, but Coach White seemed very confident that he got the right players to plug in uh, where they're going to have needs, um, even with a ton of, you know, returning talent and not a lot of turnover expected there volleyball just signed the one uh big player aiden ames who's the you know big in every way six four middle blocker from prosper the number three player and a u.s national uh regular i mean it's always nice to flip somebody from nebraska right like we talked about it when it happened um that's like that kind of it's not a as much of a rivalry as it used to be when when they were in the Big Twelve, but um, you know I remember the first time Texas beat Nebraska. Like I'll never forget that night. Like it was just absolutely incredible. So like if you, I love anytime Texas beats Nebraska in volleyball, it just feels great. Yeah, don't don't tell Nebraska that it's not the same rivalry. They they still will take any chance they they get to hate on Texas, um, and it's fun because they care so much. To give them credit, their fans care so 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 much. You saw um, the uh, outdoor. Uh, game right that, that set all kinds of records they uh, they are uh, passionate and they they do care a lot about volleyball up there um, they don't have football to watch anymore but uh, yeah, I kid no Matt Rule's doing some decent things there but keeping it in the top 10 soccer announced eight in a top 10 class um, they they keep their pipeline in two places which I love they get players off the Canadian junior national team because of the coaches Canadian uh, roots and pipeline and they get the best club soccer team 
probably in the nation right now, Solar SC out of Dallas. Shout-outs to, to Coach Derek uh, Massimo there and uh, obviously the, the many, many star players, including Trinity and Lexi, that, that came through there. Yeah, I mean, again, we keep talking. Like, I'm running out of things to say, like stacking elite talent, stacking elite talent, stacking elite talent. Um, number 11 player in the country, number five defender in the country, um, got a you know CONCACAF golden boot winner um, for an international team, right? Like this is how you build a program. And, and um, I felt prophetic the other week when I said it's wild that with all this talent, Texas isn't the odds on favorite to win the conference. And they did. And so like this is starting to shape up like a national championship caliber program. Um, you know, co- the coach is doing an incredible job of stacking the talent here um, and bringing in. It's becoming a spot where talent wants to go, which is like the first thing, right? You get a couple of hot players and the talent attracts talent. That's what's happening. I just absolutely love seeing it. Yeah, we already gave the men's tennis updates. They did theirs a little early going international. Women's tennis signs a truly uh, elite class. Um, prep standout Ariana Ana Zagasti per, uh, Pursue, which is just a, a tremendous name to say and butcher. I'll get it right, I promise. One of the top junior players in the world, ranked uh, number two. Uh, player in this class as well as prep standout Maya Joint um, who's ranked as the number three player in this class and then Aussie standout Charlotte Campaniers Pox I believe is how we say that Uh, I'm gonna get better I promise Uh, considered a coup as she was likely to go pro uh, didn't even have a ranking in this class because she they thought she would go pro but ended up probably be a a top five player uh, in this class if if if, uh, Rick is throwing his tennis racket right now and there you have a ranking let me know but um, three basically of the top available players uh, in the world Um, so great class for women's tennis to match a great international uh, class on men's tennis including uh, Pierre Yves Belly's uh, little brother. Shouts to tennis bagman Rick, who uh, was in the DMs today, saying he's never been more excited for a tennis season than he is right now. So, like, flamas, flames. It's incredible. This te- The Texas Tennis Country Club, keeping it country club, keeping it hot. Yeah, we'll just shout it out right here since we're talking tennis. Tennis uh, currently with six top 101 players, four top 50, and the number one and number two singles players in Spaziri and Braswell. Other Braswell's 28, I think. Um, so just loaded this year on the men's tennis side. I believe the the uh, doubles t- pairing of those two, Spaziri and Braswell, is number three as well. So they're well-primed to finish the job they didn't get done uh, last year. Very, very, very good Um roster right now and they they showed it during the fall men's golf signed uh talented keeping it international pair uh the top ranked south african junior daniel bennett texas has gotten uh, a long lineage of, of great south african players um and the top ranked mexican junior eduardo derbez torres so keeping it international in the country club gerald not international local other recruiting news very local Hyper local in the sense that Louisiana is becoming uh, an annex of Texas at the rate that we are recruiting it. Not to spoil the lead here, but this week, four star cornerback Wardell Mack absolutely clean flipped, which I love to see. Don't I love the don't decommit and reopen, just clean flip. You don't see it enough these days. Flip, flip, game over. Wardell Mack clean flip from Florida to the University of Texas. Yeah, massive, massive coup for Texas, who was looking for answers uh, at defensive back, right? Becomes the highest rated defensive back in the class, second highest defensive player in the class. Um, he's a he's a two-way player in high school, plays quarterback, wide receiver, and cornerback, projects to be a corner. Um, 
you know, Texas jumps up inside the top 10 uh, for this season, really sets them up for a top five finish, which honestly was a long shot before this. Um, 5'11", 170 pounds, really great uh, athletic guy, probably a little bit more raw, but really projects well athletically. Um, and he happens to be uh, closely tied to another or a, a currently uncommitted defender that Texas is currently chasing. You just love that, don't you? Um, first of all, love a guy who who plays, you know, both ways in high school. Still, a guy who just wants to get on the field and win. Um, projects, of course, at cornerback here. But yes, the other player Gerald is referencing is the top uncommitted defender, I think, in the country from Waco Connolly, Kobe Black, also a cornerback. That um, bringing in a tandem like that of two, you know, top one fifty guys, two guys who, who you know both have NFL aspirations uh, is nice, right? That's a nice sign if they want to play together, want to lock down this thing together. Um, With the Mac flip, they jumped Texas A&M for a top 10 class. There's still some meat on the bone. If you add black to that and a couple other whispers and names and flips and things and rumors that we may have heard, um, this this has got top five class potential. All right, Gerald, um, let's keep it Let's keep it going around the country, uh, college football here. It's carousel season. It's officially coaching carousel season. Our good friend of the the, the, the show who's never listened, Mario, uh, <laughs> said that his beloved Texas A&M fight Nagy's are the coach firing national champions, which is actually not true. That's either Michigan State or Northwestern because Mel Tucker and Pat Fitzgerald are both terrible humans. They actually started the firing. But as far as in-season uh, performance-based firings, Texas A&M, Congrats. You get to be first. Gerald, um, the, the largest buyout of all time was Gus Malzahn at $30 million. Um, that's the initial payment they make to Jimbo. <laughs> and then they pay him $7 million into the 2030s. Um, Bobby Bonilla, eat your heart out. That is right. That is right. Jimbo is no strings attached. There are no limiting factors on this contract. This thing... Um, is paid in full. If he passes away, it goes to his kids. If they, you know, I don't know. I don't want to get morbid here, but it that money is going to him. There ain't no ain't no doubt about it. And it's just hilarious. I mean, they paid a lot of money to get rid of Kevin Sumlin, and they they Gerald talked about it before they on the the, the Tuesday show. You know, they they fire not just Jimbo, but a lot of that staff. And there's a lot of money there, and they're gonna have to do a new staff. I mean, it's a hundred million dollars easy decision that they made, but. The funniest part is still that they did it after a giant win. Um, just to say, like it doesn't matter. You're, you're the, you, we hate what's where we are right now, and you, one win will not even Aggies jaded hearts. We're we're, we're too uh, too sad to to be convinced on the roller coaster that that meant they were back. So um, you love to see it. I mean, yeah, it's it is. Um reheating a national championship coach that let things fizzle and left it really bad in Florida state to the point where it took literally his entire tenure at a different school for that school to bounce back. Um, like it wasn't just, it wasn't a great look. Um, I honestly wanted them to extend him another time because, um, the worse that they are, the better it is for Texas. But, um, it's absolutely insane that they can afford this. I'm curious what it does to, uh, the transfer market and the NIL market as they, uh, continue to pay this out, uh, moving forward. It probably will have some sort of impact not as much but you've already seen one kid go into the portal they've got a 30-day window now it starts now to get it but you know sark said something i talked about it on uh the tuesday show it kind of sucks for the kids on the team because you're effectively saying like you're punting on the season uh for the sake of recruiting and so like it sucks for them but 
you know, it is what it is. Um, I just, I hope they have another terrible hire. I hope they hire Dabo or something. Just, it'll be great. Speaking of terrible, uh, the the coach who lost the game to Jimbo in a midseason game, both coaches fired, um, and maybe rightfully so based on the outcome. But I, I mean, in his first year, how 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 messed up is our system where Zach Arnett taking over, you know, as defensive coordinator for Mike Leach, obviously Mike Leach passes away, uh, becomes the head coach. And then in the, the, the first year gets fired. I think it's pretty terrible. Zach Arnett is a good defensive coordinator, especially for spread teams. I've seen some whispers that he may be a target for that USC, uh, defensive coordinator job. Boise also fired there. So Boise, Mississippi state, Northwestern, Michigan state, um, Brady Hoke also announcing at the end of the season, San Diego state will be available. So the carousel starting to churn. Yeah. The carousel is spinning. The carousel is churning. Um, Jeff Choate's name has been floated for a couple of, um, couple of, or a job, I guess a job in the, the Boise job. So it's interesting to see that Gary Patterson says he wants a job. So that'll be interesting, um, to see as well. So, uh, the carousel just starts earlier and earlier. I've always said that if you fire somebody before the end of the season, you should have just fired him at the end of the last season, but you know, it is what it is. Gerald, uh, Texas, again, number seven in the college football playoff. They, they're holding pretty steady there. Um, some people are, are really working themselves up about what has to happen outside of their control, and I really think you and I are pretty aligned on just just win the Big 12 championship and then let the cards play as they may. You, anything to add there? None whatsoever. Texas was 5-7 and seven two years ago, so let's just focus on beating Iowa State before we worry about any sort of playoff <laughs> situation. I love that. Um, SEC is is right around the corner, as we know. Baseball announced the permanent SEC opponents for the the folks in that conference. Texas A and M got a tough uh, <laughs> pair with Texas and LSU being their opponents. Of course, Texas's would be aforementioned Aggie as well as Sooner, which is right, and I think bodes well for what the football will look like. That's still to be announced, but. Um, Interesting for baseball that they basically did the two permanent um, model. And, and so I think probably for football, we'll see uh, at least that uh, similar uh, play out. Obviously, less games. But, uh, but yeah, interesting note there. It just means we get to beat Aggie and Sooner every year on the diamond. Feels good to me. Lastly, women's golf's Farrah, uh, freshman Farrah O'Keefe was named to the final fall Annika award watch list she's of course the uh, big 12 golfer of the month september started off red hot in her collegiate career um love to see it i mean it's what she do right um she's going to be good for texas as long as she decides to not go pro and when she goes pro she'll be a good pro and a good representative for texas there too i love it gerald let's take it home with a bit of godzilla tron what have you been watching uh cross oceans uh on maybe small screens or at home on your giant godzilla son godzilla tron sized screen yeah, so I spent like 40 hours on planes uh, getting to and from those various places I was last week. So um, I, I watched a couple of movies. I um, I had never seen Tenet. It just was one of those that like came out right around, I think, one of the times my kids was one of my kids was bored because that happened a lot. Um, so I never saw Tenet. Finally checked it out. Good movie. Um, it took me a while to figure out what was actually going on, but really enjoyed it. I also checked out this movie called Last Night in Soho. It was an interesting. Um, it's Edgar Wright. 
great doing like a horror movie. Essentially, the premise is um, this girl moves into a um, room and starts seeing ghosts. She could start interacting, like seeing the past. And so you kind of try to figure out um, what happened. She starts to identify with the person that lived in the room before. It's a really interesting. The ending kind of fizzled a little bit for me, but it was really good. Um, I also read three books um, on the trip uh, because, again, 40 hours in airplanes is a lot. So, um I also started a rewatch of Yu Yu Hakusho, the anime. Um, it's an old anime from the 90s. They're doing a Netflix show. It's one of my favorites of all time. It holds up. If you're an anime person, check it out. But I read three books, and I want to talk about um, like one of them in depth. So I read a book called Paladin's Grace. I didn't know it was a romance novel going into it, but like somebody said it was good. Somebody said I'd like it. It's a romance novel. But it was good. It's about um, a, a, knight, a religious knight who's having some... Uh, who loses his God essentially. And so he's kind of dealing with the fallout of that, like what it means to him to be, um, you know, a man and a holy warrior and blah, 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 blah. He also falls in love with a person named grace, which is a little on the nose. Um, I read a, a young adult book called the demon sword asperities, which is actually also an interesting premise. It also involves a holy knight. I was on a bit of a kick, but this holy knight loses his holy sword. Um, and ends up making a deal with a, uh, evil sword. Who's trying to keep, um, the souls that the evil sword has collected from getting out into back into the world. Um, and so they kind of create this, this, uh, um, a tenuous bond because they have the same goal uh, for very different reasons. Um, it's really interesting. It's it's a very predictable, like young adulty novel. And then I read a novella called Dark Harvest, and this is the one that I want to talk about. So um, I saw the trailer. They're doing a movie, a film adaptation for this, um, and so I wanted to check it out. It was interesting. The premise is is it's not something that's like super revolutionary, right? It's a farming town in the fifties or sixties, and on Halloween night, the teenage boys between the ages of sixteen and eighteen. Have have to go out and keep this monster from getting to the center of the town or like their farming will end them like keeping this monster out of the town um keeps the keeps the town alive right like that's a pretty classic trope um and then like halfway through it it flips it on its head and it was like one of the most like earned yet unexpected twists I've ever seen. And it was emotional and it was emotionally resonant in ways that like horror stuff is rarely. And it had some really interesting commentary on like what it means to be a parent and what it means to be a good citizen. And it was just really, really interesting. Um, it was like a, it was like a, it was a relatively quick read um, as well. And I'm a slow reader. So it was, it was interesting. I keep saying that I don't like horror, but I think horror is just not my go-to genre, but like if there's something that's good or like worthwhile, I'll check it out. And so yeah, dark harvest really, Really, really interesting unlike anything I'd ever read before um, and I would highly recommend it if you're not like it's not even that gory because like the the monster like bleeds candy like so it's like they even kind of like mute some of the um the horrific elements of it but uh, if you're into like slashers or if you're just like like just good stories it's really good I can't I, I don't want to say too much because I'll spoil kind of what makes it good but like I liked the book I hope the movie doesn't suck it could suck but I really like the book I cleared out the pain a little because I knew you had some catching up to do and you had some material. So I'm just, I'll give, I'll give two pieces. First of all, Gerald, I was very excited. I got um, to start a new show with my wife and it's one I've been wanting to watch myself. I've been wanting her to watch. Um, I thought the main character would be enough to <clears throat> draw her in and keep her occupied. I think we got three episodes in and I was loving it. I was back in, in my space. She was kind of pulling back and I could tell she wasn't you know it wasn't her her cup of tea right away 
I need Gerald you to send my wife a a uh, a missive, um, a a persuasive uh, argument on why she should continue watching Justified. Ah, um, <laughs> yeah, we can do that. We I can need definitely that. I know, do that. I know you love it as much as me, and there's a part of me that I don't know if I've ever rewatched Justified all the way through. Maybe I have. Maybe this is my third watch, but it may just be my second. But I've watched a little bit here and there. There's a part of me that's taken back, and I'm just you know. I sit in it and I go back to where I was the first time and how surprised I was, how much I enjoyed it, how much I fell in love with the characters. And maybe it's, you know, me as a, as a, as a man watching Raylan Givens and his internal struggle. Like, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Uh, but there's something about that show that resonates to me that for whatever reason, right off the bat, isn't necessarily, re- you know, resonating with her. It's part of the thing that I love about it. The procedural, you know, crime of the week. She's kind of like, Oh, it's a, procedural crime of the week um it gets less I, of that as it goes on though that's the thing that's season, what i told her I was season like, one is yeah. very very crime of the week it's very procedural and then it like and it's drops good that. it's See, good it, crime it's of the good. week but it gets better and i said like wait till you really know the crowders and like the dixie mafia and some of this you know like I was like, you know, Margo Martindale isn't even in it yet. Come on, what are you, what are you talking about? I mean, my my wife liked that show. That's usually a, a, enough of an endorsement for your wife. That's to what get I on need. Board. Yeah, I need that. I need, I need a group text. So we'll take this one <laughs> offline. Um, so the one thing I did watch, Gerald. When's the last time that you watched hit comedy? I can't even tell you what year. I don't know. Two thousand and six, probably. I don't know. Anchorman. Um, like watched it all the way. It's been a smooth minute, Kyle. It has been a long time. It has been well over a decade for me. Maybe like maybe in college. I don't know. It's been a long time. I was, was two thousand four, by the way. That's fine. I was close. Like I said, that's all smushed years to me um, in my formative uh, development years. But uh, I was shocked that I could still quote every word, every <laughs> ad lib, every like bad corny joke. Um, like I know I've seen parts of it and I've quoted parts of it and pulled up parts on YouTube, but like it imprinted on my impressionable, whatever, you know, millennial brain, whatever age I was so thoroughly that like I could probably close my eyes or put it on mute rather and go word for word and just, just give the entire thing. It was, it was scary how much that, that resonated. Don't no judgments are needed there. It's a tremendous film for exactly what it is, it holds up relatively well. I mean, it makes fun of itself, and it makes so much fun of a time period um, in its in its composition that it's not like it aged out and it's stale. It's like it's dumb and it's slapstick, and it is that. But man, it's so good. It's so good. I I've talked about how much I love absurdist comedies, and that is such a good like absurdist comedy is just so so good it makes very little sense and it's just absolutely incredible i love i'm gonna have to go back and watch it now i appreciate that kyle yeah, uh that's that's probably like a, a nap time watch for me uh this weekend with the kids but that's all we've got for you this week kyle where can the good folks find you on the internet oh you can follow me on twitter at kyle carpenter and and on all social medias at kyle carpenter you can also follow the texas pregamer at texas pregamer Follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. We'll be back on Tuesday with your Iowa State recap. Hopefully a happy one. And then we'll be back uh, Wednesday or Thursday. Haven't decided yet when that one's dropping based upon uh, the holiday. But either way, we'll be here previewing your Black Friday matchup with Texas Tech. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, 
Hook'em. Hook'em. Can't believe Iowa State is betting on themselves. <laughs> <laughs>